0: This is how it feels. We are electric eels going round like a wonder wheel. Round,
1: round, round.
0: My head summer somersaults. Don't need that old pole
2: vault. When Thanks for joining us for another episode of TalkScript. We're recording live-ish from the always beautiful Carlsbad, California, after taking the podcast on the road to JSConf US 2018. This conference had two tracks packed with great speakers, vacation-esque activities, and new stickers to add to our ever-expanding laptop mosaic. Over the next few episodes, we'll be talking with various speakers, including Kevin O'Neill, Nick Naverta, Oddbirds' Miriam Suzanne, Test Doubles' Justin Searles, and many more. Let's get started! Hello, and welcome to another episode of the TalkScript Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Nisi, and I'm here with Tori Rice. Hello. We're at JSConf US 2018 in Carlsbad, California, and we're very excited to be recording interviews with speakers throughout the day, throughout the entire conference, and we're very excited to have our first conference speaker sit down with us and and, uh, discuss their talk. Please welcome Neha Nevedita, who goes by Nick. Would you like to say hello?
3: Hello, Nick, and hello, Tori. Thank you for having me here today. I'm very excited to be here at JSConf and also to be a part of the TalkScript podcast. Yeah. This is really fun, and I'm glad to meet you guys. Yeah,
2: it's great meeting great you, to meet too. you, too. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you do.
3: I'm a software developer. I work primarily with JavaScript frameworks, like Node.js, React, MongoDB, Express, that sort of thing. I'm certified in MongoDB, if that makes a difference. although nice. people tell me that certifications, uh, they're useless. <laughs> uh, well, I learned a bit while I was doing it. I enjoy making apps for clients worldwide and helping them solve their problems using their apps.
2: Nice. It's really fun. You work primarily with React right now?
3: Is that correct? I work primarily with Node.js and React. Okay. That's correct. Yeah.
2: Nice. So how did you get into JavaScript?
3: Actually, it was the first technology that I worked with. Like, I started working with JavaScript straight out of college. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. really interesting
2: so tell us a little about your talk what's what's the title of your talk
3: the title of my talk it contains a pun I'm a terrible punster I enjoy making puns all the time it's so good
0: but I read it literally so it took me a second to get it oh yeah i, I sat there and read it three times i'm like am i missing and then i finally was like oh i'm just dense that's <laughs> okay. a great title like it was great it was so good that i just i didn't understand it at first that's mm-hmm. great
3: yeah so let's tell uh, the people what that title actually is it's no, I've, it's I've called,
0: built up the suspense you see
3: yeah well uh, i hope it lives up to it it's called how to be an ally creating accessible react apps now that ally it's since this is uh voice medium it won't show up, the pun won't show up here. But it's written A11Y, which is a short form of accessibility. And it's actually pronounced, it's, it's actually called A11Y, but for you know a talk. That, that's where the pun lies.
0: It was great. Because I I read it as how to be accessibility. <laughs> how to be accessibility. And then I read it again, how to be accessible. I'm like, I how to be accessible. Like I'm thinking it's a typo. Like someone made a mistake and then finally I'm like How to be an owl. Oh, I get it now. I seriously read it three times in my head, and I just said it. Accessibility. Every Usually,
3: time. people go the other way. Right? I know. So I was
0: just—I've been doing this so long. I just see A11Y, and I go accessibility. accessibility. It's yeah. Just like, so I totally didn't even read it. I was just like seeing it, and like, yeah, I don't understand this title. But then I realized what it was. I was like, that is great. Thank that,
3: you.
2: That's funny because it's really kind of one of those things that uh, it's a term that you don't really say out loud too often, you know. But it's something that we see every day. Obviously, I do. I guess think of it as A11Y or accessibility. I'll just. Say the long form, but in my mind, when I see that, I do always think allies. So yeah. I thought that that was on purpose. I actually didn't know why it was spelled like that when I first saw that. And it wasn't until I saw internationalization, I18N, mm-hmm. and asked why there's 18 in the middle yeah. of that. And then I was able to apply that back to accessibility.
3: Thankfully for me, I saw I18N first and accessibility, A11Y later okay. on. So <laughs> it, it, didn't, it wasn't that difficult for me.
2: Yeah. Nice. <laughs> So your talk then is about creating accessible React apps.
3: Yeah, it's primarily about how to begin to think about implementing accessibility in React. This is a topic that's really close to my heart for various reasons. So when I started working with React, at first, I didn't know how to implement accessibility into it. but slowly, gradually I started uh, learning about it on my own. and uh, well basically this talk is it contains the essence of what I've learned so far. And I try to present it in a manner that would be really useful for people who are just beginning with accessibility. Yeah. In React.
2: Definitely. definitely. And then accessibility is obviously a, a very important topic that everyone should have mm-hmm. at the front of their minds when it comes to developing mm-hmm. components because you want your, your code to be usable by the greatest number of people and that's the mm-hmm. easiest way to do that and it's, so it's very important. And there's laws, depending on the types of apps that you're working no, on, there's right. laws that you have to comply that's with. True. So very, very cool. With that, what do you think about React when it comes to accessibility? Uh, does it help or hinder you in any way?
3: Well, at the very base level, React supports all of the accessibility options that are available there, recommended by WCAG and ARIA.
2: Like, uh, yeah, like the ARIA attributes yeah, and all it, of that? It
3: supports all of that. But there are some things that are very specific to React. When you're developing an app in React, it's, it's dynamic in nature. Mm-hmm. So sometimes certain changes may occur in the app, which won't really show up let 's say in a screen reader, so there are certain problems that are very specific to React, which you need to really think about when you 're trying to implement accessibility in it on the very basic level. it says that it supports Aria, but there 's still a lot of a long way to go
2: but it, it kind of it supports all of that, but it doesn 't really give you like, like much much in react it's it 's kind of just a very simple view layer it doesn 't actually prescribe a specific way of doing anything That's other right. than really I, I, I guess you can follow more of the the common standards that you would have with like yeah. typical HTML because yeah. you're just writing it in JSX. Yeah. That's right. Is there anything that, that React could do better to help promote better accessibility or, or encourage that uh, within components?
3: So when we were talking earlier about how React is a dynamic app and then when certain changes happen within the single page application, those changes might not get rendered properly in the screen reader. Mm-hmm. So again, if React had some way to support these sort of changes by default, then we wouldn't need to do it by hand. This is something that I think that React should do or try to address in some ways in the coming versions of React, yeah.
2: That's cool. So you've been developing React apps for a while and making them accessible. Is there any kind of tooling that you use to make sure that your React apps are accessible? Is there any kind of React-specific tooling or just tooling in general to help with accessibility? Yeah,
3: there are actually linters available for it. Okay. I'm going to talk about it more in my talk. I'm going to speak more about it in my talk. There are a couple of test frameworks available as well, which when you integrate with your app, it will tell you exactly where and how your app is failing in terms of accessibility. Oh, nice. I think these tools are really cool, and I do feel that we need more of these out there. Yeah, I'm actually trying to figure out how I could help work and try to build something like that.
2: Very I, cool. Yeah. So giving back and yeah, taking your experience yeah. giving it back not just in the talk but also I'm
3: really passionate about open source and I try to contribute as much as I can when I can. Very nice. So far it's uh, it's not been much I've contributed to node and a couple of cocs and nice. there was another thing called the post meritocracy manifesto. <laughs>
2: <laughs> can you say that again?
3: The post meritocracy manifesto. Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. Post meritocracy manifesto. Yeah. I to look that Related up. Related
3: to tech. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, it was uh, quite something. Yeah. But yeah, I think I'd like to create a few tools as well, which other people could also use.
2: Very cool. Nice. So if people want to follow up with you about about your talk and ask questions, are you on Twitter? Is, is, like-
3: yes, I am on Twitter. It's uh, Nick Nivedit. Or you could go to my website and find all of my social media handles from there. It's nivedit.in. N-I-V-E-D-I-T dot I-N. Cool.
2: And we'll have this in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll have a link on that. Thank you. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Thank you for having me here. And thank you for the T-shirt. <laughs>
0: thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. We don't just give those out to anyone you know. Uh-huh. It's only... I'm
3: going to wear this proudly.
0: You, thank you. We expect
2: it. We'll see you on Thursday
0: in it.
3: Yeah,
0: see you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, way to just put that in there. You're like, you got the exact time. You're like, I'll see you at this moment. You'll you will see be me on it.
3: Thursday, but you didn't say when. Yeah,
2: that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Thank you. Have, uh, enjoy the conference. Same to you. All right, hey, we're back and uh, we're here with our next speaker at JSConf 2018. Uh, please welcome Christopher Baxter to, to the podcast.
1: Hi. Uh, so
2: Christopher, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Great, yeah, so I have, I'm a web developer. have been working on the web for quite a few years. I worked at Netflix for a long time, worked at LinkedIn for a little over a year, and I've been at Google for roughly a year. Nice. Um, So the things that I focus on are web performance. It's the thing I want to try to help fix is that the web is slow on low-end devices particularly, Mm -hmm. and I think that we can do better as an industry.
2: Yeah, definitely, and that's kind of what your talk is about. It seems it's the title of your talk is JavaScript concurrency and the DOM. Yes, if I can say that. Uh, so tell say it four times fast. Good <laughs> yes. luck, because
0: I can't at the same time.
1: <laughs> you can't, can you? See, that I the can't. Part the I'm
2: not even gonna try. You got me. <laughs> So tell us a little bit about that and what the talk is about.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that I've I've noticed is that it's really hard to do parallel programming or parallelism within JavaScript. The reason is that the the primitives for parallelism are really, really low level, right? Web workers are notoriously hard to handle. You've got to have this kind of like big bridge that you're sending things across. And you have to figure out how to dispatch those events on both sides of the bridge. And as a result, the, the curve is just too hard. Like it doesn't, it just becomes not very useful at a certain point point. and so people shy away from it mm-hmm. for good reason but what i've done for this talk is i've i'm introducing some new data points that i think will help convince people to use it so one of the bigger ones is i took all mobile phones that were sold from 2011 to 2018 all of them that came out and categorized them by percentile of price so if you walked into best buy today and you went to buy a phone and you were in the first 15th percentile that's a category The second category is roughly 75th percentile, and third category is 90th percentile. So when you break it down like that, it turns out that 15th percentile has not improved in performance at all. Since 2011, it's consistent. And these are the devices that are being sold and people are getting as their first devices and accessing the internet and they're getting a pretty poor experience as a result.
2: And when, when you say they haven't improved, are you saying in like processing speed and, and
1: memory and things like that, or? Yeah, so uh, like like overall
0: improvement, not like by percentage, right? Like just overall, they're basically static.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. Wow. The, the trend line is slightly positive, so I don't want to be completely negative. There's like, a you know, maybe a 3% growth mm-hmm. in five years. Right. Um, but that should really scare everyone. Mm-hmm. Moore's law is not holding up on these devices at all. And operating systems are getting heavier and more complex. So these devices are actually getting slower, not faster. But there's a reason, it's because they're getting cheaper. So that percentile is now around $80. You can buy a brand new phone today for $80 and you get performance of roughly an iPhone 4, if you're lucky. It's depressing and it's hard to use, but parallelism and multiprocessing on those devices has gotten slightly better. So those devices are are actually have a small growth in the way that they can handle multiple core operations. And so my hope is that by presenting some new solutions for how to do work in parallel in JavaScript that people will try it out. And the solutions we're presenting, probably not the right thing for everyone, but the hope is that this is more of a catalyst. Sure. This is, hey, we probably need to reinvest a little bit more in concurrency. So
2: can you give an example of a possible solution that you can do in JavaScript to, to have concurrent JavaScript?
1: Yeah, so there's four that I'm gonna talk about during the presentation. So, first one is something called Clooney. It came out, it was made by the Chrome team from Surma, mostly. And the way that it works is you define what needs to run in a separate thread in your main thread. That's the benefit. So, you create a class in the main thread, but then you create an instance of that class that runs in a worker. Okay. And so from your code, it's pretty straightforward to use, and you can kind of do your expensive calculations off the main thread. As a result, it's really nice. It's uh, it works pretty well for like heavy math operations, for mm-hmm. instance. But that's not what a lot of people's apps really do. Right. So then another option is something that is an emerging specification that might be added to JavaScript that I cannot pronounce correctly. It's like JS blocks, but the O has an umlaut. Interesting. So Blox blocks. <laughs> I don't you know, really it's going to be one of those things
0: that it's just everyone sees it and they don't ever say it. So <laughs> you're fine. Like, you know what? You yeah. should set the trend on this and just decide how it's said. Oh. And you'll be the one that everyone hears and go, well, no, he said it's
1: JS Blooks.
0: <laughs> I'm going to go with blocks. Okay. I guess that's the safer thing yeah. to go with.
1: But it's a potential improvement to JavaScript. We'll see if it lands or if it's actually useful. But it allows you to kind of define sections of code, blocks of code that are not guaranteed to run on the same thread as the rest of your code. Oh, interesting. So the runtime can determine based on current availability of resources. Should I run this on the main thread? Should I run it on a different thread? Because you provided all of its scope in the syntax. It can't access lexical scope. It can only access the block scope that you provide it. It's able to run independently as a result. And so you could have 10 or more of these individual blocks running at a single time. And no runtime library. Nice. Yay! That is nice. Another solution uh, comes from Jason Miller, who uh, works on DevRel on the Chrome team. It's called Stockroom. It's something that pretty much anyone could integrate with today. It's like Redux, except it runs in a worker. Okay. So your UI code subscribes to updates, and the, the worker can then send updates to the UI thread, and it just responds to them. So all of your kind of reducers or other things that are a little bit more complex uh-huh. run within the worker context.
2: Nice. So that frees up the main thread for UI updates and exactly. keeping things fast. The whole there. trend
1: here is to try to keep the UI thread only for UI. Yep. And then the last thing is something we're going to announce today on stage, which is going to be fun. And we're Exciting. Gonna open source. It's called Worker DOM. you getting and a scoop right now? Is this a you scoop? You are. You're getting a scoop Woo. in like two hours or whatever. <laughs> we're going to announce this since we got to go to press. <laughs> it's a different take on the whole problem. So... The main problem with workers is that you can't access the DOM. It's not allowed because right. the DOM is synchronous and has deep hooks into internals of the browser engine mm-hmm. and many of the browser runtimes. So, what we've done with Worker DOM is we built a new DOM from scratch in TypeScript, and it's an entire implementation of the DOM. Now, there are probably bugs, and by probably I mean there are definitely bugs. <laughs> But that's the DOM's fault, let's just blame the DOM. (laughs) You can't be responsible for that. I think I'm responsible for a few, but the DOM is also responsible for a lot more. (laughs) So we implemented the DOM in TypeScript and it runs within a worker, so you can take your existing code in React or Preact or Svelte and run it within the worker entirely. And now the UI thread is only applying the updates that the code that you write is dictating. Okay. All of the other processing happens off main thread.
2: So it's running all of that in a thread, and then or in, a, in a, a worker, and then sending back what updates should actually occur back to the main thread to actually apply those. So exactly. all of the, but you would just call the DOM calls like you would normally call in your application, and to like a typical user of this it would just all be happening in a worker without them really even having to worry about that? Is that...
1: Exactly. That's Very the cool. Home. Okay. So you write using whatever framework or vanilla JS, if mm-hmm. you like that, and the framework is oblivious to the fact that it's running in a worker. Mm-hmm. It has a document, it has a document body, and it has DOM construction capabilities um, cool. and manipulation capabilities, like it would expect. So basically, your tool
0: is running out that whole thing of like, am I living in a simulation for the frameworks, <laughs> right? The frameworks have now are I mean they're in a thread inside a thread with a <laughs> with a DOM within a DOM, fake DOM. Pretend, yeah, no, I think I think that's uh terrifying actually. There was um, a
1: really great tweet I saw recently about someday someone's going to invent the quantum DOM. I really wanted to respond because it feels a little bit like what we're trying like to do. Like you did here. that. You're like, but, you were correct. <laughs> but I didn't want to give away what we were doing, so I, I held off. Wow. You have more restraint than I do. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> That's really cool. So I'm sure you'll, you'll get into to specifics, and I can't wait to check out the project when it's open source, but um, you said that it can plug into any any UI framework and and just be usable immediately, is that?
1: That's the hope. Now, we haven't tested with all of them, of course, and there are bugs in the implementation that might break a framework or two. Sure. But for instance, we do have support for Preact today. Uh Pretty much anything that you can do in Preact will work. We have really, really early support for React. Their event delegation system has been a little bit more tricky to ensure that the modeling works correctly for. We have support for a forked version of Svelte that we made minor alterations to. And the reason is that some APIs just don't exist. Some things that are synchronous just don't have an equivalent representation. Mm-hmm. You ask for a get bounding client rect, that's a synchronous call. We don't know what the size of that element is in the background thread. Yeah. So instead we have replacements like get bounding client rect async, which returns a promise. Okay. That sounds really
2: cool. Yeah, very cool. So you also said that you wrote, wrote it in TypeScript. Yes. C- could you maybe explain the, the decision process that went into choosing that as, as the language to write it in?
1: Yeah, I'm not going to write any more JavaScript without types. Nice. It just It's much easier, at least for my mental processing, to uh-huh. think of the types first than to write the code. Yeah. I also tend to write a lot of the tests at that point too, if I'm writing something that's a library but types make things much more sane to rationalize absolutely and TypeScript's a pretty good fit I do like flow as well but I tend to prefer TypeScript just because the syntax more matches what I would expect
0: Mm -hmm. we agree we're fans of TypeScript as well I don't know
1: if you noticed from our title (laughs) of our podcast but we like it (laughs) had one hunch did you pick up on this yeah it's it's subtle it's subtle but I think you're a smart guy I think there's a few things in TypeScript that I I really like, and I I occasionally run into bugs, but what I've noticed is that Microsoft has been really good about fixing those things, which makes me happy and keeps me using it.
2: I haven't really had an opportunity to use TypeScript 3 yet, but it seems like that does fix a lot of the issues that I have been having in the past. Yeah. I'm excited to get on that.
1: And another thing I think is interesting is you can use TypeScript with Closure Compiler. Mm -hmm. Now, Closure Compiler isn't used much outside of Google, really but it's the best minifier on the planet by yeah. far because it does a lot of things that are hard to do otherwise yeah. because it has to know types in order to be able to do these things. Yeah. Luckily, the Angular team wrote something called t which allows you to convert TypeScript types to Clojure compiler types. And then Clojure compiler is able to use advanced optimizations against your code base. Which you should is You have just said cool. magic, honestly. Like anyone knows how those
0: work anyway. It's just, you just put it in and stuff comes out and it's like, I guess it works, I don't know.
1: It's really, really interesting. I recently released a Rollup plugin that lets you take your TypeScript code and use Closure Compiler through this mechanism, but delivered by Rollup. Nice. It's pretty nice.
2: Very cool. So that kind of covers the basics of your talk. It sounds like it's going to be really exciting. I uh, can't wait to hear it, and I can't wait to see this project when it comes out. Is there anything else that you'd like to, to let our listeners know?
1: Any other uh, secrets you want on scoops yeah. here? Oh man, I feel like I just revealed my last six months of work in like 10 minutes here. And you did now. it on basically C-Span. <laughs> <laughs> it's our Daily Show here. I don't know, I, I really am curious to see what people think of this approach. I want people to try to go pick up a low-end device and try their own sites and their own things that they build against them. If I could call out a device to buy, there's a device from Nokia called a Nokia 2. You can buy it off of your favorite online retailer for about $80. And you will be shocked at how slow it is. And it is a very popular device. So if you you have $80 in your dev budget, go pick one up and find out what a lot of your users are seeing.
0: Yeah, that's great insight. Or just stay blissfully ignorant and continue <laughs> on. <laughs> I'm not saying what one I'm going to do. <laughs> That's an option as well. I have plenty of slow devices. I, I, you know, I get it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Thanks so much for sitting down with us. and Thanks so much. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll see you around the conference. Sounds great. Thanks great. so much. Thank here we are with another interview from JSConf 2018. And we're here with Kevin O'Neill. Kevin, would you like to introduce yourself?
4: Oh, uh, yes. I'm Kevin O'Neill. I work at Fast Retailing in Tokyo, Japan uh, as a front-end developer.
2: Wow. That's awesome. Tokyo. That's a, a long ways away.
4: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Nick would literally starve to death if he lived there. I,
2: probably would. <laughs> do they have chicken nuggets? They do. Okay. okay then I'll be You're fine. good. you are good. We've just determined another country you can live in, Nick. <laughs> I would love to go to Tokyo. It, sounds, like, it, it looks beautiful from you know pictures I've seen and movies and such. But We're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about your talk. And the title of your talk was I See, Overcoming Challenges in Software Development. Would you like to give us a rundown of what your talk was about?
4: Oh, yeah, sure. So the main point was like, I want to tell my story of how I started with web development. It's been about like five years since I've been a web developer, but before then I kind of had like some self-doubts that perhaps my disability would get in the way of that. But after just diving in and getting out of my comfort zone, especially like moving to Tokyo and start working there, mm-hmm. I found out that I actually can do it. So the main point of my talk was that I wanted to inspire other people who are ably challenged or may have some difficulties to get out there and try the software development and that way accessibility would be even like more widespread mm-hmm. because there are a lot of different challenges that people face it's hard for you know one person or one team to know every single challenge that's out there that lots of people have so yeah definitely yeah
2: that's great. So it sounds like it was a very personal talk and a very good message coming out of that.
4: For our listeners, what
0: is what were your challenges?
4: Okay, so I'm visually impaired, and I guess what they would call it, I'm legally blind. So I was raised here in San Diego, and as you know, like the public transportation system is a bit limited. So one of the main challenges that I can't drive at all. So getting around is really difficult. And that was one of the hard things about getting a job here. Like I would be asked, how would you get to work? And I would have difficulty responding, like coming up with an answer mm-hmm. at that time. And so I thought about like, for example, when I'm developing for my first two jobs, I didn't ask for something like a monitor arm, which would have helped a lot because I'm very, very nearsighted. And the great thing about having a monitor arm is that since it attaches to the desk, you can kind of like move it around to get it as close or as far away as you need to. That and the fact that my field of vision is really narrow, I can also move it around to just fit into that field Mm -hmm. that I have. Cool.
0: So what are some of the challenges that specifically you were talking about in your talk or that you want others to be more aware of? I guess that's the Ah, best way I could put that question. Mm -hmm. That was fragmented at best. I'm nailing it right now. (laughs) I was on a roll this morning and now it's just trailing off here, my bad.
4: (laughs) Don't worry, happens to me too. So what were some of the challenges? So one thing that I had in my talk was back, especially six years ago or even five years ago, I had a lot of self-doubts, like I mentioned. That stopped me from asking my employers for ways that I could improve my ergonomics or like help me be more efficient at my job. So. One of the points or one of the slides that I had was letting your employer know that if there's a way that they can help you make your development life a lot easier. And I think that was the biggest one that I've had. When it comes to like developer tools, there might be different levels of support, like some editors or some dev tools might have some better support for accessibility, for example. Those are the two main challenges that I've came across. The biggest one is definitely uh, the self-doubt and internalization of wanting to hide the problems mm-hmm. or the challenges that I have.
0: Yeah. It sounds like it's a good bit of fear of, you know, if you ask, then it's going to point out the problem. Right? right. And I feel like there's kind of the flip side of that too, where people who are unaware or just don't care. And then there's the other side where, people care but and they're aware, but they don't know how also to approach it or ask you or talk to you about it without right. the risk of the fear of what if it's offensive or what if it's taken the wrong way or I don't even know what I'm asking, you know, and right. uh, how do you blanketly ask somebody, is there something I can get you that we, you could do your job better? Because, I mean, there are the implications of how you would even say that, you know, how would kind of saying you're not doing your job well, even right. if you are, it's like, can you do, you know, what, what kind of help you can often if people are even conscious enough to think about it can be hard to even ask right right so it kind of sounds like there's a communication that fear of communication on around disabilities is a real thing like i've seen
4: yeah and that's what i hope to get across like in my presentation i was like really quiet and didn't want to show explain like my disability in detail because I was afraid that that would be like a burden on the team or the company, but it actually turns out that it's the opposite. If there is a way that your employer can make your workflow much more efficient, then it's also better for their bottom line as well. Everybody wins. It's a win-win situation. We don't like that in America, right? Someone's got to lose?
2: Come on! That's why he's in Japan now. Yeah, it all makes sense. This whole
0: story is like starting to really get clarified for us now.
2: So can you maybe explain what got you to get over that hump and, and to really be okay with, with um, talking about that? More publicly with your with your employers
4: all right, so at my first and my second job, I was actually too afraid to explain the disability or the disadvantages that mm-hmm. I have, and that actually kind of worsened my posture because I would have to get like really close to yeah. the screen right yeah. that's not good, so I got over that when I actually went to an interview, and I just like you know in an interview, you should in my opinion like It's a two-way street, right? When you're an employer, you kind of, you want to see what they're You're interviewing them as well. Right. You're interviewing them as well. And you want to see like, well, are they a really good employer? If they're a good employer, they're going to want what's in our shared best interest. Yeah. So um, I just wanted to give a shot. Like, hey, I have this, I have a little bit of a problem, but there's a, I figured out a way to solve it. And that way it shows that you have some kind of initiative or some kind of like idea of how you can come up with a win-win situation for Mm a solution for... Be a problem, and that's how I overcame it that's awesome yeah.
0: so I was thinking about this I, I was I was thinking about this at lunch today as I was sitting there, and I think you were at the table actually which and I was listening to someone else was talking to Dylan about accessibility and react or something, and it just got me thinking a lot about I was almost like it'd be it, it'd be better it'd be like in a way I was like, it's too bad we can't do some kind of a uh, black mirror thing where like people just go blind for a day and just have to use the web and just see what that's really like and you know like it's really difficult to i was gonna say visualize not being able to visualize it but you know what i mean to to really to even i think if if you have like a screen reader right even if you try to do that but knowing that you can just open your eyes it makes it hard to really understand Mm. it's less about you know it's like i abstractly know Accessibility is important, but because when it doesn't affect you directly, it's much harder to think about it the way it needs to be thought about. You know, that it's not just this after the fact thing that you're just supposed to do because you're supposed to. Like, it's part of the whole process, right? Right. And I was thinking about it and thinking, it'd be great if, like, the dev tool sites, like, you know, like they're referenced all the time, like Mozilla's API docs or whatever, right? Like JavaScript docs, TypeScript docs. If they just have like a day where they went black, as in their screen was just black and you had to only navigate it using some sort of like in browser, like built in screen, you know what I mean? Like some sort of screen reading thing that was like on the page that like forced you to just use it and really force you that there is no I can just open my eyes now and use it thing that's like, nope, for today, like today we go dark, you know, and like, this is how, you know, I don't know, it's just something I thought about. But then I thought, boy, that's really presumptuous of me that no one's done something like that. Like, here I am thinking up this whole grand scheme. And I'm like, are there things that, that I guess people can do to kind of, I guess, other causes or things that people can do to help promote and that understanding beyond just doing podcasts and stuff like I guess that's kind of what my question is. Like, what do you think about my great idea? And then it's like, is that even an idea? Like, has that been tried? Things like that that you know of, or
4: not that I know of. So far, I'm mean, into test like accessibility insights. We do have the Lighthouse tools that um, Chrome okay. provides, and I believe Firefox also has an extension for that. Beyond that, what I plan to do in the future is hopefully like inspire, or teach other ably challenged people to get into software development, so that way they can kind of tell us or help us out right. or help yeah. everybody else build a better web for the future yeah. and for
0: everyone. Yeah, I guess that's a good point too, including them in the discussion instead of just, yeah, you know, people like me just closing their eyes. You know, it doesn't really help. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's, that's the truth of it, right, is it's just like you can't know the full experience, so you're probably not the greatest ambassador to talk about those things if you haven't experienced it like yourself, and that's great mm-hmm. that you're, I mean, it's really awesome that you're out there talking about these things mm-hmm. and that you talk about how you had a challenge and that you overcame that fear. And, you know, just being able to just say that, like a lot of times people don't want to admit things in the past that they were wrong about or things that Mm -hmm. they felt differently about now. And it's a really big problem all throughout society where you just have people who don't want to admit ever that they were wrong or that they Mm -hmm. could have been wrong. Or maybe there's another way to approach things and Mm -hmm. just having more people able to just say, yeah, like I, this is what I was doing. I didn't know that you know I could have done this a different way. And here's you know here's some things you could do. I think is a great message just in and of itself. Just educating people that there are other options, other ways to do things, that you need to think about those. I think is really great.
4: Yeah, I feel like one of the things that has actually kind of like improved, I think, my life is just getting out of my comfort zone. And that's, it's really scary to do. It's a very very scary. He does thing drive to do. a
0: car now. That's what he's trying to say. <laughs> he's parked right over there in the grass.
4: Yeah, yeah. Getting out of your comfort zone is um, a very scary thing to do, but I think like once you um, get out there, get your feet wet, it actually becomes a lot less frightening, and you kind of learn a lot more about yourself as a person and how like how to go from there, how to improve yourself, or how to help the world, basically. Like yeah, awesome.
2: No, I really appreciate you sharing your experiences with us and letting us learn from that. And- Learn how to better empathize because I think that that's something that we all need to do for
0: sure. Hey, I love how he says that's something we all need to do, and he turns and looks directly at me, <laughs> <laughs> like
4: subtle, Nick, subtle.
2: Is there anything else that you'd like to let our audience know?
4: I think that's about it. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It's, uh, it's thank been you an for honor. coming.
2: <laughs> yeah, we really appreciate it.
1: We got a good thing going on. Ba, 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 ba. We got a. Good